Hello, hello everyone. Welcome to another episode of Sunrise Podcast. Today's episode is very special as for the first time ever we are doing an interview and our guest is a member of a world famous rock band Survivor known for their smash hit Eye of the Tiger. He has also written music for TV shows and films and you can hear him on a variety of TV networks such as TLC and HBO. And also, he had a minor role in a famous film, Karate Kid, back when he was a teenager. And more importantly, our guest has had a world of experience in the music industry and a lot of great stories to tell, as you will hear if you stay tuned with the show. So, Jeffrey Bryan, the member of Survivor, enjoy the interview. Hello, Jeffrey. How are you? I'm good. Thank you for having me. Looking forward to this. Uh, hello, Alex. Uh, how are you doing? Hello, guys. Hello, Jeff. Uh, thanks for Hi. coming on the show. Hello, Vlada. Uh, yes, I'm fine. Trying to cope with the hot weather here in Belgrade, Serbia. Um, it wow. is like over 30 degrees of Celsius. So summer is officially here. I'm not a big fan of it, but um, I'm trying to cope with it. Drinking a lot of water <laughs> and uh, keeping keeping myself, you know, um, out of the out of the the hot weather. Yes, lots of fluids. Stay hydrated. Exactly, exactly. Yeah, yeah. So Jeff, uh, first of all, uh, like I said, thank you for coming on the show. Um, we would like we would like to ask you first to do a little introduction of yourself and also as most of us know uh, you are the member of the band survivor so can you also tell us a little bit about how you ended up playing in this band uh sure well first of all i'm uh as as alex mentioned or no vlada uh you know I'm it's from alex Los it's alex <laughs> alex okay well i i had a 50 50 shot there uh, yeah, yeah there you go I'm from I'm from Los Angeles originally, born and raised. Uh, grew up in the '80s. Uh, been a musician my whole my whole life. Uh, started out as a singer and formed my own bands, and basically was trying to be a singer songwriter. Piano didn't come into uh, into the mix until a little bit later. I I, I play guitar and piano, but uh, I found the piano to be my instrument. And as the years went on. Uh, I started to uh, kind of market myself as a keyboard player. And to be honest, I have a lot of really cool stories about the 80s and some other things that I've done. But when it comes to Survivor, I don't have a great story. I, I literally got an email one day uh, that said, hey, do you want to play for the band Survivor? <laughs> and, oh, wow. Uh, it, yeah, it was one of those oh, wow emails I'm, I'm, you, you don't expect to actually really receive. And... One day I just opened my email and there it was. And I, uh, I didn't know what, whether it was real because it was such a strange kind of one line, do you want to play for Survivor, period. That was it. So I thought, is that a joke? What is this? So well, that's I, quite I, simple. I, yeah. So I eventually, I, you know, I answered it, obviously. And, um, you know, obviously it was them. And they, uh, they, and now how they found me, I can't say for sure. Uh, you know, I've I've been playing in LA for many many years. 
uh, in fact, the keyboard player that was currently in the band at the time, I actually knew who he was. He's friends with a lot of friends I know in L.A. We're not friends directly, but he he knows a lot of people I know. It, you know, it, so it's it's not surprising that somehow my name got got to theirs somehow through my L.A. connections. But um, it was it was very uh, exciting, and certainly not expected. It was just one of those crazy, you know, uh, serendipitous kind of things. It just happened. So I'm very proud of it. I'm very happy it did, and you know, uh, yeah, that the rest sound- is history, as they say. Yeah, that sounds fantastic. You know, uh, being able to play in a band with so much history with a certain fan base. So what I wanted to ask you about your experience playing with Survivor, playing concerts, are there any particular tracks of theirs that you really get a kick out of playing live? Oh, yeah. I mean, well, first of all, for a rock band, especially an 80s rock band that during the time, during the mid-80s, there were a lot of what we call in the States hair bands, you know, Bands like Cinderella and and uh, Motley Crue. Well, I would, yeah, I guess Motley Crue back then was kind of a hair band. But the point is, is that keyboards was very, very important to um, Survivor, and they were more in the kind of foreigner journey camp. And so there's a lot of very important keyboard uh, iconic parts that are really fun to play. High on you, it's a simple part, but it it just every time you start playing that lick, you know, it's just immediate. And people love it, and that's always exciting. But for me, I really enjoy playing uh, The Search is Over. Uh, I, I usually get a piano solo before we go into it. So I get uh, the stage to myself, and I usually play about 10 or 15 minutes of piano. And then we go into The Search is Over, which is, you know, that beautiful ballad that was, uh, I don't know how big of a hit it was in your part of the world, but in the United States, it was a monster hit. Um, I, I, to be fair, I'm not quite certain myself how big that song was uh, in former Yugoslavia, in the, because I'm, I was born in the 80s, so I can't recall. But, yeah. you know, everybody knows Survivor uh, by Eye of the Tiger, of course. But yeah. there were some other major hit songs, and uh, we were going through the catalog prior to doing this interview, and uh, we noticed that uh, that record, Vital Signs, has a lot of power ballads, so that they're definitely known for that, and that's where I guess keyboards play a major role. Yeah, well, keyboards always played a major role in most of their albums, uh, but Vital Signs, you know, produced by Ron Nevison, was a uh, unbelievable masterpiece. I mean, what a beautiful record that was. The whole album is—it's got you know hits all over it. Yeah, exactly. And I just want to quickly ask you, um, Jeff, when we talk about the piano and the keyboards, um, is there much similarities between the two? You mean with respect to the instruments? Yes, so the sound that that comes out oh, of no. both of those instruments. Is there oh, any difference? Not. Oh, yeah. There's, they're, not, they're nothing alike. I mean, a piano is a piano. We all know what a piano is. And... Uh, the synth parts come from, for them, back in the 80s, they, their, their synth of choice was mostly a Jupiter 8. A lot of, uh, a Roland Jupiter 8, which is um, a very, very famous and popular, was popular in the 80s. And um, 
if you li- if I mean I don't know how familiar you are with their songs, but if you listen to songs like High on You, uh, Can't Hold Back, I'm I'm thinking of the hits right now. Uh, you know, a lot of those songs are yeah, yeah. have some thick you know synth pads and synth stabs, and um, you know they're very they're very iconic sounding. They're they're definitely not piano, and that's what when when I think Vlad asked me about um, what song. I like to play a lot. I, I always lean toward piano because it's so much fun. I, I, piano is just a great instrument, very expressive. And The Search is Over is a primarily is primarily a piano ballad. So it's pretty much the only keyboards I'm playing on that song is, is mostly piano and some string pads, but piano is, the, is really uh, distinctive in that song. Yes, yes, cool, Jeff. I want to ask you also, so... Before you got this special, unbelievable email, uh, were you a fan of this band? Oh, who wasn't? <laughs> uh, you know, there were so many bands that I had been uh, following through the years. I mean, you know, everything from Journey, Bad Company, Foreigner. Uh, you know, those were those were great bands, and 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 the Survivor fit right in there. Um, But I will say this, for me, being in the, you know, being, trying to be in the music business in the 80s, I was influenced by so many different things. Everything from, you know, stuff that was coming in from, from the UK, uh, from Brian Ferry, Roxy Music, and all that stuff. And, you know, I was a song guy. I was really interested in great songs. So any, anything that had a great song, I suddenly was interested in. So I, I wasn't really, I didn't follow any particular band if that answers your question. I, I was always a fan of great songwriting. And Survivor, I think they're almost a little bit underrated in the sense that if you go back and listen to some of the songs that are on these on these records, the, especially the ones that weren't hits, um, great songwriting, you know? And just from that basis alone, I'd be a fan. So yeah, the music is just, it, just so much fun to reproduce. So yeah, you could say I was a fan among among uh, many other bands that I had known. I never knew I would actually meet them later on in life. So that's just crazy, you know? Yeah, that was a big surprise, I guess. You've just touched on a very interesting part and a very interesting topic, to be precise. Can you list uh, your, let's say, favorites or biggest influences, you know, biggest musical inspirations growing up? Well, I would break that down by what they do, because originally, I, as I mentioned before, I, I started out as a singer. So I was following people that I thought were uh, people that I wanted to emulate. You know, um, Dennis D. Young from Styx comes to mind. Steve Perry, Lou Graham from Foreigner, um, Paul Rogers, Bad Company. These were all my heroes. These were all, you know, Jamie and Jimmy Jameson, of course, from, from Survivor. These were just phenomenal singers and people that, you know, I was trying to sort of model myself in terms of singing uh, after. Now, musically, that's a whole different thing. I mean, I, I'm, a, I'm a composer and, um, and a musician, so I had another world of influences, everything from Trevor Horn, anything he produced. Uh, from I, I'm sure you guys know who Trevor Horn is. Yeah, the art phenomenal and, producer. And, yeah, yeah, just crazy, amazing career. Uh, Nile Rodgers is another. I'm a huge fan of Nile Rodgers. Brian Ferry, 
So I kind of live in more than one world. Uh, you know, I kind of kind of follow different different things for different reasons, different people and different different bands for different reasons. But um, I mean, Sting. I mean, I I was I, I have every one of his records. I, I you know love Sting. Uh, I was listening to some of the covers you did on your YouTube channel, and I really enjoyed the renditions uh, you did, especially uh, the version of Life on Mars uh, by David oh, Bowie. And, um, thank you. I, I want to ask you about that, that song in particular, because you, you played that beautiful piano part, which was originally played by Rick Wakeman, I think, of the Yes right. fame. Uh, it so, was Rick Wakeman. Yes, yeah, yeah. so so I want to ask you, which keyboard players had a special influence on your playing? Uh, were there any players that you wanted to emulate growing and developing as a keyboard player? Oh, sure. Leon Russell comes to mind. Um, I, I, you know, that guy has had so much soul. And, uh, I mean, he was also a guitar player, but his keyboards were just crazy. Um Elton John, I can't, you know, I, I have, you know, I know a lot of people say that, but there's a reason for it. I mean, the, the guy had amazing chops and uh, yeah, anything he played was just, you know, really uh, inspiring. Uh, I was probably also inspired by uh, Daryl Dragon from Captain Tennille, uh, which interesting story. I actually uh, met Daryl back in the 80s when he was, uh, when he owned Rumbo Recording Studios. And I recorded uh, some demos from my original band with his assistance. He allowed me to come in and, and gave me the studio to record. It was also at that time that Survivor was recording uh, some of their records. I think it was Vital Signs. And um, I never met them at the time, but we were in the same studio around the same time. <laughs> and uh, he played, Daryl Dragon played on a lot of uh, Survivor records. I didn't know that then. But it's just, I thought it was an interesting story, especially considering the fact that, you know, he was also a phenomenal keyboard player that, that I respected greatly. Uh, yeah, that's wonderful. I mean, some of these names you mentioned are also among my favorites, so I can totally relate, except that I don't know how to play the keyboards. <laughs> uh, I, I also... Not yet. <laughs> well, yeah. I don't want to... I don't want to forget Howard Jones and Thomas Dolby, too, because those are huge influences on my writing. All right, some, some wonderful names there. Um, but now I want to ask you about something completely different. Um, you were a part of the cast of the original Karate Kid film. And, I mean, that must have been an awesome thing. So can you tell us something about how you got into acting as a teenager how was that whole experience being on such a major film? Well, Karate Kid was uh, one of the first... Well, I mean, it was the second movie I was actually in. I starred in another movie prior to that that didn't come out to after that. But the Karate Kid was certainly the most... Um, wow. I mean, you know, at the time, it, it was supposed to be a two-week thing. I was supposed to go in there for just... It was a very short job. But... Before I even showed up on set, they renegotiated the contract and had had me staying on for the entire uh, film shooting of the film, which was close to six months. And um, I didn't have an enormous part, but I guess there were there were other parts in the script that didn't make it at the end. 
So there's there's a ton of stuff that they ended up editing out and things that they didn't use in the script. But just to be around that that uh, that um, those amazing people and just just to be part of that. You know, I can only look at it from a retrospective point of view because at the time I was 18, I wanted to be a musician. The acting thing was a complete accident. I wasn't really trying to be an actor. And I felt, to be honest, I felt a little uncomfortable on the set. You know, I was surrounded by people that had studied acting and cared about acting. You know, I studied music and cared about music. And so I kind of felt a little bit like a fish out of water sometimes. Yeah. Um, but so I have I have sort of a different... Uh, you know, depending on what time period I'm looking at it from, you know, if you asked me when I was 18, I'd be like, ah, I want to get out of here. <laughs> but, you know, in retrospect, wow, what an amazing thing to be a part of, you know. It's still today, it's, it's just people want to talk to me about it all the time. Yes, and something that a lot of actors complain about is that whenever a stranger meets them on the street, they go like, oh, you, you were in that movie or you were in that movie. So do people recognize you on the street and, and you know, approach you and ask you about the Karate Kid, Jeff? No, not anymore. Um, when it came out, uh, I had another movie out called Hot Moves, which I actually starred in. I, I had a, a lead role in that movie. And... Uh, that one they actually recognized me from. Well, Karate Kid, to be honest, I didn't have a lot of on-screen uh, time. I had a, a, a few lines, and I was able to uh, get a little bit of, of, of uh, camera time, but not enough, for people to, not enough for people to remember. Plus, you know, it wasn't that important to the story as it turned out. Uh, I wish I had, um, but that's, you know, no. So the answer to your question is no. <laughs> Not really. Plus, you know, I look a lot different probably than I did then. You know, I was 18. I had hair and, you know, I look like a, a teenager. <laughs> absolutely. Absolutely, Jeff. So let's get back to music as that's as, as we can uh, see uh, your uh, your expertise. So I want to ask you about your uh, music taste in general, especially uh, in your teenage years. So um, my question is, did your interest in music from a young age help you in networking, you know, getting to know people and, and also getting yourself into the scene? How much was that of a factor back then? Well, uh, to answer that question, it's probably easier to, to, to say that, um, you know, my whole world was trying to, get into that scene. So it was like every day I was trying to do something that was going to put me in front of somebody or some people or do something. So I was always putting bands together. Um, you know, I, I grew up in a time when the heavy metal and the hair bands, the, the big 80s hair bands and stuff on Sunset Strip were very popular. And I really wasn't a, a, a metal guy, you know. I really wasn't um, that you know, I, I, I was more of a, I, I don't know, I, I, I loved rock and roll, but I, I wasn't, I wasn't, uh, I was a little bit more of a songwriter, singer. I wanted to, you know, wanted to explore uh, a little bit more sophisticated stuff, I guess. And so there weren't as many venues. I mean, if you wanted to, if you wanted to put together a, a Guns N' Roses or, or a Motley Crue or a Quiet Riot, you know, there were plenty of venues for you to find your way to play at. 
it was just really popular. And it was a little harder if you were uh, um, doing a Billy Joel thing or, you know, a, you know, some other band that, you know, that was, uh, I guess that's maybe why I gravitated toward a lot of the, uh, the bands from the UK at the time. Because uh, they they uh, they were popular too, but not so much in a gr grassroots sense. Because there weren't as many here that started here. I mean, there weren't uh, bands like that as much. L.A. was just a rock and roll hair band mecca at the time. So networking was was always difficult. It still is for me. You know, um, that's part of the uh, you know part of the process. On, on you know, it's it's kind of who you know and. And who you can get, but the important thing is to keep keep playing and, and keep getting out there. You know, I'm not sure I'm answering your question. I'm 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 doing my best on this one because oh. yeah, yeah, definitely. I think it's perfect. Uh, yeah, yeah, uh, because uh, th that's what we wanted to know. Like, what were your experiences uh, on that scene? And I think uh, much has been said about this whole hair metal thing in LA at the time. And you were obviously from a different kind of. Uh, circle so um th that's interesting C can you tell us more about uh your time uh, uh in the 80s as a musician what sure. were you trying to do were there any uh special gigs that you did uh maybe clubs that you played sure well uh remember in the 80s i wanted to be a singer and that was my primary instrument and my main goal and so i was either in bands or putting bands together that featured me as the lead singer that's that's kind of you know i was writing the songs and and singing so i was pursuing things that i was able to perform in uh i was playing piano and playing guitar but those were more used for me to write songs and occasionally on stage i'd play a little bit but i was mostly on the microphone myself and uh I uh, I was in a show called Too Young for Prime Time Too Young for Prime Time Players, which was a kids show. I I was about fifteen or sixteen, and I uh, the guy that was running this show was uh, apparently in the music business, and he was the road manager for Seals and Crofts, and he had all these music connections, and he was he put these little shows together every weekend at the Roxy for parents and their kids' birthday parties. And um, it's kind of strange being an adult venue, but on Sundays it was sort of like a romper room, you know? We had a, um, had a uh, sort of a, a, a variety show, if you will. You had dancers and singers, and the kids were all different ages. I was probably the oldest one. But I came in, and I, I even brought a band in at one point to, to back up the other uh, players and stuff. So it was kind of like a you know, like a Tonight Show kind of thing. And uh, we played every weekend for like three years. And it was amazing. For It was the best education I could have gotten because I was in front of, even though the audience was young, it didn't matter. They were live bodies and they were listening. And I had an audience on a big stage every weekend. And, you know, that's not the kind of experience you, you can get in a school, you know. It, it was really incredible. Yeah. And from that, that led me to doing um, a segment on the Merv Griffin show, which I don't know if you guys know what that was, but the Merv Griffin show was kind of like the Tonight Show in the in the 80s. 
And Murph Griffin was a very popular uh, talk show host, uh, real, you know, really uh, kind of a big wig in the business. And he had this show. Something like, uh, something like Jimmy Kimmel? Yeah, just like that. I mean, that's where all those shows came from. It came from, <clears throat> excuse me, it came from Johnny Carson's Tonight Show and Merv Griffin's show. And both those shows, they kind of run concurrently. And uh, it, it was a very uh, well-known nationally broadcast show. And um, they did a segment on the show in which I was in. And they asked some of the kids, including myself, to come on and sing a song national tv and that was my uh that was a very you know big move for me because i had up on that up up until that point at 15 or 16 years old i had only been playing on little stages and the roxy of course but um yeah that so that's what kind of led me that's what kind of got me into the acting and it was just sort of the way things were just kind of way things meandered you know i i didn't really have a plan or a uh, away and certainly at 16 years old i was just taking everything that came you know uh but you were, you were just hungry for experience right yeah but mostly anywhere i could sing that was my goal uh, what you need me to sing okay I i'm there you know I it was just i wanted to make sure that i was constantly singing and constantly playing and and hopefully even playing my own songs they wouldn't let me perform my own song on the merc griffin show <laughs> I had to I had to choose from a list of pre-licensed material that they had. So it was kind of disappointing. Yeah, Jeff, yeah. Right. So now we've got your very beginnings covered in your early years. Now I want to ask you um about the other projects that you're involved in nowadays. So can you can you tell us a little bit about about those that stuff? Well, obviously, you know, with the lockdown situation right now in our country, certainly in California, there are no gigs. I mean, you know, I'm not I'm not able to do anything that I normally do right now. And it's it's very frustrating and, and hard. And, um, you know, it's just the way it is. And um, so Survivor, normally I'd be on tour right now. We uh, we had the whole year ready to go. In fact, my bags were packed when I got the call that, uh, you know. You're not coming. <laughs> and uh, they're oh, from man. Chicago. Yeah, it was disappointing. They're from Chicago. So, you know, we usually meet up in Chicago. We do a rehearsal for a week or two, and then we go out. And uh, everything was canceled. Now, I have other projects that I work with when I'm not on the road with, with, uh, with Survivor. And uh, one of my favorite bands is the uh, KTEL All-Stars. And I don't know how popular KTEL was in the 70s in Serbia or the 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 old Yugoslavia or Czechoslovakia Czechoslovakia what 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 was Serbia Yugoslavia Yugoslavia, Yugoslavia. so you, you okay. were right the first time Yugoslavia okay uh, I'm sorry about that um, anyway the point is is that uh, uh, I lost my train of thought um, oh KTEL so KTEL was a um, kind of a, like a record company that used to take these compi compi uh, compilation records of all the big hits at the time and they'd come out with these you know KTEL hits and they were very iconic in the 70s and they played you know they had different different genres of compilation records that they that they had put out and this band that I'm in the KTEL All-Stars we, re we reproduce these songs from the 70s uh, very very detail and it's an incredible band a lot of fun I tour with them a lot I mean we go all over the country 
And, uh, you know, so it's funny because, you know, when Survivor's not working, I, I, I'm working with them. And since nobody's working, I'm not working. So it's, uh, you know, it's kind of, kind of, kind of not, not so good right now. Uh, yeah, very tough period for all of us uh, in one yeah. way or another. But I think hopefully this will be over soon. Uh, uh, yeah, about uh, this project of yours, the KTL band. Uh, you know, I, I I listened to several of your cover songs, and you seem to be really into these beautiful '70s pop songs uh, like 10 CCs or yeah. uh, uh, Paul McCartney. Um, is that where you draw most of your inspiration from? You know, <clears throat> not necessarily all of it, but you have to remember the 70s was, I think, the period between 1970 and 1979, I, and maybe even the early 80s. Those were, that was the time period in, in rock music where um, songwriting was the, the featured thing. I mean, it, the craft of songwriting was was perfected during those years to me and i'm not saying that people aren't writing good songs anymore i'm saying that th other things now are come into have have come into play that share the stage with songwriting you've got vocalists and and video and dance moves and other things but you know everything from jackson brown and joni mitchell and paul mccartney and uh, jd salder um, Andrew Gold. I mean, these were amazing, amazing songwriters. And their their music, although I was too young to experience the 70s, uh, you know, as a teenager, I, I, you know, I was a kid. I was like five years old. But, um, but those songs, for some reason, they, 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 hold, they hold a really uh, uh, warm spot in my heart. I love those songs. I, I just, I miss that era of, I, not so much the era, because I, like I said, I was too young, but I, I miss that craft, that you know the songwriting itself it, it seems to be sort of a um an art form that's not quite as featured as it used to be uh yeah for sure i mean these are some of my favorites as well jackson brown uh for example uh, uh, uh but also you're right i think nowadays artists like that exist but they're not so prominent in the media like you have to dig a bit deeper to discover such great songwriters yeah well also it, you you got to add to the add to that the the fact that people create the way people create music is very different than it was 30 years ago um, people create music on computers and you know playing an instrument is not as important as it used to be not because nobody wants to play an instrument but because playing an instrument is hard and it takes time and to write a song on a computer and kind of fix it in the mix and do the stuff they do you can still make a beautiful piece of artwork in no time and you don't even have to be an expert at playing piano and you know that's just at the time 30 40 years ago you didn't have that option you know you pretty much either could play it or you had to get someone to play it for you and that was your only option and uh, so it's kind of changed our approach to music. And it, it's not that we're not making good music. It's just our approach to it is very different. So you're, the art itself has changed. And the priorities when making that music is different than it was before. So I, I don't know. Maybe I'm nostalgic for, for just sitting down with a pen and paper and, and a piano. Um, you know, obviously, I still write with a computer and do things I need to do. 
but uh, I think for the younger kids, for people that are in their 20s and younger, that are just discovering music, you know, they're not going to have that experience. Their, their, their experience is going to be a different approach, and that's just the way it is. Uh, yeah, I guess uh, music has to keep evolving in one way or another, right? Exactly, uh, yeah. Speaking of which... Uh, how do you approach the music that you do for television? Because you did a lot of work. Uh, your music can be heard on a lot of diff different networks like HBO, TLC, some famous shows like The Bachelor or uh, Pawn Stars. So uh, how do you approach writing a piece for television or for a film? How is that well, different from what you normally do? Well, I started out obviously as a songwriter. Um, and, and songwriting, film scoring, and TV music, they're totally different. <laughs> All three are very kind of different, uh, different disciplines. Um, but they all kind of pull, they all kind of draw some similarities. So for film, you know, if you're doing film scoring and things like that, it's not, you know, the, 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 the criteria for the piece of music you're writing don't fall into the same parameters as a, as a three-minute pop song. So you, you can throw all that out the window because you don't need to follow that. Um, it's more about expressing a, a feeling and a communication of what the director is trying to express. So you're, you're, you're basically there as, an, a, as a way to help the script tell the story. You're, you're additive. You know, you're adding value to the script uh, and not a commentary on it. So it's it's a very different approach to um, songwriting or music writing. Uh, I mean, I can talk about the technical aspects of it. I mean, it's it's usually you know when I sit down to write a song, my my to-go instrument is piano, and I'll sit down and come up with something that I think is is a, a good hook. If this is going to be for a song, it's got to be something that someone can sing or I can sing. So there's a different approach to it. When you're writing, you know, music for background music or for, you know, scoring stuff, uh, your, your, your direction for writing that piece of music is completely from a different perspective. And so that naturally forces you to write in different ways. You know, it might be an instrument that, that gives you inspiration or something that leads you to the next phrase or whatever you do so it's it's just it depends on what you're writing you know um i hope that wasn't confusing but yeah uh, jeff um before before i ask you a question a question that's been kind of stuck in my head for the for the past uh, couple of minutes i just want to quickly ask you do you enjoy writing music for tele television as much as you do you know for your own kind of um uh, hobby or you know c can you enjoy writing for television as much equally yeah. so to say i mean you know music's music and it all it all comes from the same place it's kind of like uh when you're a singer and you're you're singing you know you, you're basically communicating to your audience or whomever is listening and when you're playing piano you're channeling the same information through an instrument through a piano when you're writing for film and TV, you're channeling the same information, that communication, through those mediums. So it all comes from the same place. 
Um, so yeah, I can find pleasure, and obviously, I love doing it. Anything that's music, I want to do. Um, you know, w one thing that's nice about films is that you're not real unless unless you're given very specific instructions. You know, I I need a pan flute, and I want a you know a tabla, a pan flute, and a and a, and a, and a violin or something. It, it, you know, obviously, you've got parameters to work with, but generally the um, the way you approach music is different than it. Like I said, if you write a song, so it's a lot more freeing. You know, it, it, there's not as many con, um, constraints on you. It, there's really no limit to what you could come up with to help uh, to help get that message out, to get that communication through that medium. With songwriting, now songwriting is a whole different thing. Songwriting, especially if you're trying to write for a pop market. You know, songwriting is is about discipline because you're given a very finite set of you know of parameters to write within. Uh, unlike unlike film music, so so it's a very different kind of approach. And film and in writing for, for songs, sorry, writing for songs has its own has its own in, uh, inspiration and its own interest because there's there's something very very challenging about trying to stay within a certain parameter and coming up with something brilliant if you can within a, a finite set of rules does, does that make sense absolutely and i'm really glad that you can enjoy both jobs and that you're that you can find meaning in in music in you know every shape and form so to say but now i want to ask you about something that you mentioned before um you know, my question now is regarding uh, how young people nowadays approach music. You know, nowadays you have Spotify, YouTube, Tidal, Deezer, and all, all these uh, online uh, places where you can find your music. So I think that people are kind of uh, moving away from buying actual CDs and records. So what is your take on that trend? Well... Being that I grew up when vinyl was still the main thing and then CDs, you know, I, I'll always be a little saddened by the fact that people aren't interested in, in holding something in their hands. Um, but, you know, you have to understand the way, when you think about the way we uh, consume entertainment, it's not like it used to be. So naturally, the mediums of the day, streaming right now, uh, you know, are going to be more popular. And that's just something that, you know, like you said earlier, the evolution of music is the evolution of everything else. Uh, it's just going to continue. But if you can, I don't know how old you guys are, but I, I'm assuming, you know, you're probably not much younger than me, I hope. Um, <laughs> but uh, <laughs> you, can, you guys remember CDs, you know. But the thing is, is when of you would go to the store, the thing about music back many years ago is you could music was a feature you know it wasn't a background it was something where you would buy a record take it home put it on your record player or your cd player open the the, pa the pamphlet up look at the lyrics see the pictures it was an experience you know now music seems to be taking a back seat to you know it's got to compete with video and it's got to compete with games and it's got to compete with movies and it's got to compete with YouTube and Facebook and social media and Twitch and you know 
I'm not saying that music is not important to people, but it just has a different purpose than it used to. And so if you look at it from that perspective, it's not su it's not really surprising that people don't want to go out and buy something. They, they just want to stream it, you know. Uh, so if you ask me, do I like it? No, not really. I'd rather, you know, I'd rather you go out and buy, a, you know, a piece of music, sit down with it and make that your your evening. But it doesn't happen anymore, you know, and, and for very for the reasons I just mentioned. And um, I guess there's a little bit of sadness that comes along with that. But, you know, it's just the way things have evolved. The way, I'm sure that, you know, many, many, many years ago when uh, I don't see a good example, but, you know, when 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 uh, when record players first came around, I don't know, 150 years ago, or whatever. People probably were like, well, yeah, well that, there goes live music. No one's going to want to go out and see a band. So that didn't happen. So, you know, it's just. Yes, Jeff, uh, I'm not going to lie. To be fair, I'm quite young and uh, <laughs> I find my music on Deezer and on YouTube. So if I were to buy a CD, uh, I would approach it, you know, I would look at it as a gift or as something, you know, special because I can find my music whenever I want. I just, you know, it, it just takes a yeah. few clicks. And this is something that Vlada and I often talk about. And we even joke about it because nowadays you just don't feel that need uh, to, to to buy an actual CD uh, because that's not your main source of music anymore, you know? I agree. I, I totally understand that. And, and, you know, with all the music that I play for people and the bands that I'm in, you know, I don't have time to go out and buy this music either. I, I, it's easy to find things on. I mean, the Internet has made things extremely easy to find anything you're looking for. Um, so from that perspective, you know, that's that makes sense. What I was referring to was the fact that music itself doesn't seem to be the main event unless you're going to a concert. You know, music is something you do while you're doing something else, while you're working out, while you're uh, playing a game, you know, why you're, you know, some people have music on while they're reading a book. I mean, the point is, is that there was a time when music was so important that, you know, it was important to put the record on and listen to what the artist was saying from beginning to end. I'm not suggesting that people that are younger that aren't doing that with the streams or or even, you know, MP3s or something. But I, I, I don't think it's as commonplace. Yes, Jeff, you know I mean? exactly. Um, now, now I want to ask you, so we, we've just uh, discussed, you know, your personal opinion. Now I want to ask you, how does this affect you as a professional musician? Well, when you refer to this, I, I'm not sure. I mean, I could answer that in a million ways, but what what specifically you're referring to so so this trend of moving on from from buying cds and uh, switching to online platforms online streaming platforms so how does that affect you as someone who basically creates music uh, every year every month yeah well i mean it doesn't really change the way i make music you know i still sit down with a piano or a keyboard and compose something and record just like everybody else one track at a time so from the creation standpoint i'm using tools that i didn't have 30 years ago but yeah i mean you know the creation point of view is still the same but in terms of in terms of how we consume music is a little different and 
the immediacy of it is actually kind of cool. I mean, you can put something online and within minutes know if people like it or not, you know, or 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 just, you know, the satisfaction of of having being able to publish something immediately is something that, you know, we didn't have many years ago. So from that perspective, it's it's actually quite exciting. And I think that it's uh, it can be in very inspiring knowing that I could write something today and at the end of the day, thousands of people could be listening to it. Um, that's great. Uh, but I have another question for you, and it's about live performances. I wonder uh, what kind of venues do you prefer playing in since you're on tour often and you probably go to a number of different venues? So do you prefer larger venues or more intimate settings? Well, I like the more intimate settings, to be honest. Um, I've played very large ones, and I've played a lot of small ones. And I find that when you can see their faces and, you know, you, you can really react to what people are responding to, you know, when you, you can see them reacting to you. And so there's this communication that you have that is a little difficult when you're, you know, in front of 10,000 people. Uh, you try to concentrate on maybe the first row or two, but you know you're not really performing for them. You're performing for all of them, so it's a different kind of approach. So I, I, you know, as a musician, and I think a lot of musicians might say this. I mean, the intimate venues is more immediate. It's it's where I think I shine more at an in a smaller setting. Um, not to say that the energy of a lot of people coming back at you in a big you know big stadium or something. Obviously, that's very exciting, but it's performance-wise, it's a different approach. It's just a different, it's a different animal altogether. Yes, and uh, since we are now um, witnessing this coronavirus thing, and uh, a lot of venues yeah. and a lot of gatherings are being canceled, you know, there there has been some speculations about these. Uh, weird online events, you know, when, where someone plays, where some band plays music and uh, the audience kind of watches it on their screens. I don't think that they that that can, you know, that that could replace, you know, going to to the actual gig. You know, I, I think that would never re replace the the live experience, Jeff. Yeah, I hope you're right. I I, I tend to agree with you. Uh, I, I in fact I have tons of friends that are or, you know musicians that i know that have tried to do streams and 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 this and that and some of them you know do it more often than others but you know if you talk to them it's not the same you know it, I, it's kind of like a comedian if a comedian has no audience to laugh at their jokes it's hard to know if they're funny and, uh, you know, so if, if a comedian is streaming their, their show and they, they say a joke, they get to the end of the punchline and nobody's there to applaud or clap or laugh, that's got to be painful, man. <laughs> you know, And it's no different from a musician. If you're playing something, you know, you, you kind of want to feel that coming back at you. And that's hard to do. That's the one thing that you really don't get that immediacy with stream with streaming live to people. I mean, there are chat rooms and there's the ability to to kind of discuss things, but you can't see their faces. And, you know, that's just the human experience and that's what performing is about. 
So, no, I think it'll never replace uh, live music. It's going to change things, but hopefully not too drastically. That's a very good point, Jeff. All right. I think live music is coming back sooner or later, so we just have to be patient. I hope but, so. But I would love to ask you to perform a little song for us here just to give a, a little glimpse of what you can do to our audience. Sure. Um, I can play a little piece. Let me now I'm gonna go ahead and turn on I'm gonna turn on the piano, which might make you feedback a little. Are you ready? Oh yes. you're muted. We're okay. muted. <laughs> okay. Listeners, you have just heard a piece by our dear guest, Jeffrey Bryan. Jeffrey, thank you very much for, for playing that beautiful song. I genuinely enjoyed it. Now thank we want to do uh, a bit of trivia with you, some, some trivia questions. So, Jeff, first of all, I want to ask you, and this, I'm sorry if this is a tough question, um, you, you can you, you can try to you can try to answer it of course. So, what five albums would you want with you on a desert island? Okay, all right. Oh wow, there's so many good ones. Five's not not easy, but okay. Probably the Wall, yeah. Pink Floyd, the Wall. Um, Brian Ferry, Better 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 Noir. Uh, something from Sting could be anything. Some Ten Sumner's Tales, any one of his records. Mercury Rising, uh, any one of his records. Uh, let me see. I mean, the ones I really, really. Oh, you gotta have uh, uh, an ELO record. 
Um, kind of, kind of think. Fleetwood Mac rumors got to have that. Is that five? I could go on. That's five. Uh, yeah, we could all go on with this kind of stuff, right? Yeah. Oh my God, there's so many. I'll probably hang up and go. Oh, I didn't even think of that. Forgot about that one. I like that. <laughs> It's some great choices there, by the way. Uh, I I love the rumors. I love the wall. Those are also some of my all-time favorites. Uh, but I have to check out that Brian Ferry record. I've never heard that one. So. Oh, my God. Yeah, I, I've been a Brian Ferry fan since Roxy Music. Uh, and uh, his music is just no, like nobody else's. And it's so classy and sophisticated, and, and yet it's really sexy. Um, anyway, check him out. Uh, yeah, I, I love Roxy Music as well. And I noticed that uh, recently a lot of TV shows on HBO started incorporating uh, Roxy Music into these new shows. So this music still has such an amazing value. Uh, yeah. But another uh, interesting question that we would like to ask you is uh, if you could jam with any musician in the world, who would that be? Wow. Uh, Paul McCartney and maybe Steve Ferroni, from, uh, the drummer from uh, Tom Petty. I am so <laughs> glad that you picked a bassist and a drummer because I'm a bass player <laughs> and obviously I have a, I hold, you know, I have a special place in my heart for good drummers and obviously for, for bassists. So well, thank a, you, Jeff. Thank player, you so much. Yo, you're welcome. But as a keyboard player, you know, I want to play with a good rhythm section. I mean, that's, yeah. you know, that's your foundation. That's the foundation of music, isn't exactly. it? Exactly. Yeah. 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 There's, yes. There's right. Jeff. Absolutely. Okay. So now we are approaching the end of this episode. Um, unfortunately, <laughs> to be fair, um, dear listeners, thank you for, thank you again for listening to, to our podcast. Check out our social media We are, you can find us on uh, Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Uh, also, check out our Patreon page. And uh, if you want to uh, have you know, uh, a variety of platforms for listening to our, to our show, you can check our Linktree link, where we have all our links. Um, Jeff, thank you very much for coming on the show today. Would you like to share with our audience all of your accounts and websites? Oh, yeah. Thank you. Um, well, I, I enjoyed it, too, Alex and Vlada, uh, very much. Uh, you can find me at the best place to find me is my website, which is jeffreybryanmusic.com, spelled J-E-F-F-B-R-Y-A-N, music, M-U-S-I-C.com. And then from there, I've got my YouTube page and my Facebook page. It's all easy to get to from there. So that's probably the best place. Yes, fantastic. Fantastic, Jeff. Thank you very much. Um, everybody out there, uh, if you're a band or an independent musician, and if you would like to either have an interview with us or, uh, or maybe include your music in our podcast, feel free to email us or uh, send us a message on some of our social media accounts. Vlada, what's your final word? Uh, first of all, I have to say I enjoyed this immensely. Uh, Jeff, you. it's it's amazing to listen to you. 
tell all your stories and uh, you have so much to tell as a musician and an extremely talented one at that. So thank you so much for taking part in our show. We really appreciate it. Uh, dear listeners, hope you enjoyed this as much as we did. And uh, we'll be having more interviews in the upcoming months. So stay tuned. Uh, you may hear some of your favorite musicians on this podcast as well. Uh, so uh, all the best and we'll see you real soon.